I'm Brian Russ, and I get to be the chaplain and director of faith formation at Holland Christian Schools. Uh, I get to be the dad of four little girls, soon to be a fifth daughter, and on Christmas Eve is the due date, so that's pretty exciting. And terrifying, mostly terrifying, but it's exciting as well. Um, my daughter, not too long ago, a couple weeks, said pretty much she had a quote that summed up, I think, our existence right now pretty nicely. She was going potty and said, Hey, Dad, brought a toilet paper so I used your sock. I hope that's okay. Like, yeah, that's pretty much every day, right? Some version of that. Well, hey, the topic for this session is liberal or conservative, which is your Christian school? And I wanted to tell you where that title came from. It was actually the subject line of an email I received just before uh, CEA was asking for, for topics for a session. I thought, oh man, I was going to copy that subject line from the email and, and, and think about it a little bit with you. Um, and a little bit more context to that email, right before I opened the email, I was... Uh, Sitting in my office, and a student came in, just this really tall kid, his name's Chris, biggest heart of any kid you'll ever meet. And he walked in, and he's usually super joyful and cheerful, and I looked, and he, he, he was clearly experiencing something hard and challenging, and his eyes, there were little pools of, of tears in his eyes, and he said, Mr. Russ, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, of course, come on in. And all of a sudden, he just exploded in tears, and he's crying, uh, and he explained how close he is with his grandfather, and how they do everything together, and he's been such an important person in his life, and he was being taken off of life support that hour. Um, and so he said, hey, Mr. Russ, I'm just sitting around waiting for a text from my dad. Is it okay if I sit in here? And I said, yeah, you bet. Come on in. And, and then out of his own, you know, I'm sitting there on the chapel, and I was like, so you want to like talk about anything? I, didn't, I wasn't quite sure if you just wanted it to be quiet or, or what. And he said, do you think you could read from the Bible to me while I wait for this text? And so I said, of course, and opened his Psalms, and I just started reading uh, passages. And while we were in the 23rd Psalm, all of a sudden, I heard his phone bing. I'm crying, just tell you this. And he looked at his phone, and then he just starts crying more. His, his grandma had passed away. So we continued talking, and eventually the bell rang. And I said, You know, if you don't want to go to class, that's fine. You're welcome to wait in here a little bit. He said, No, I think I'm going to go. And, and he did. Um, shortly after he left, that's when I opened my computer. And there was this the first email waiting for me, he said, Liberal or conservative? Which is your school? And I remember, I remember just being kind of like struck by almost the oddness of this question in the midst of the last hour that had gone by, sitting with this young man, talking about his grandfather, reading the scriptures with him, and all of a sudden these two categories, like, like was that a liberal thing or was that a conservative thing? And I'm trying to be like, I don't know what the last hour was, like which category to put that one in. Uh, as I walked out of school, I saw a teacher sitting in our media center library and was going over papers with seniors. 
And I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, don't you know we can leave at like, actually, I don't know, was it 3.30 or 3.15? After 3, 3 years, whatever it is. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, re can't remember off the top of my head. Because I usually stay way later than that, so I can't really remember. <laughs> uh, but I remember thinking, like, he's still here, still investing, still working with students on their papers. The next morning I came into school and there was a team that was in one of the classrooms doing a Bible study before school. And I just, I look around and I see all these incredible people who I respect, who are investing in the lives of young people who are committed to Christian education. And, and then I'm struck with this, like, what category, which box, this one or this one? Because there's only two options and which one does this all fit inside? And... Uh, and I'm not trying to, to um, diminish the question either. I get it. And I think that's a, I, I think there's some validity to trying to better understand uh, what, what's going on in school. I think that's all fine. But what, what just struck me was that these categories that are dominating conversation and imagination right now, they are insufficient to describe what Jesus is up to in the Gospels. And they're insufficient to describe the kingdom that he's talking about, raving about in the Gospels. And so how do we not just answer that question, but how do we navigate this moment well? Um, I, I'm not a graphic design person at all. I'm really bad with a lot of things, but technology and images and stuff, not so good. I was trying to make these smaller. I couldn't figure out how to make them smaller. They're stuck to the background, so I was like, I can't make this one. Anyway, and then I thought, you know what? I kind of like them gigantic on the screen like that, because that's, I think, part of the challenge right now, is that these categories of liberal or conservative are dominating, and it's hard to see anything else. And so how do we express and, and, and try to partner with parents and with the local churches? How do we do that well in the midst of these dominating categories? Um, that's what I'd love to think about with you for a little bit. And here's the basic thesis, so you may leave after you hear this if you're... <laughs> Oh, okay, no kidding, you probably should. There's some others going on right now that are similar in topic, but like, oh, that's probably better. I believe, <laughs> I believe that an important part of our calling in this season is to articulate and to live into a vision of Christian education that shows the world that liberal and conservative are just insufficient categories to capture Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's the thesis. So I'd like to begin with a little participation, if I may. I started trying to answer this question myself, and I thought, I might as well just make them do it, because uh, my list wasn't, wasn't complete. Uh, here's the question. How do we get here? Can you maybe spend a couple minutes with the people around you trying to come up with some of the factors? I've heard so many Christian schools and Christian school teachers, and beyond, obviously, Talk about this, this kind of this divided moment and all the things that have exacerbated these divisions, leading to this kind of this sense of polarization. Do you think we could come up with some of the factors 
Uh, in our you know, historical rearview mirror, what are some of the factors? Some of them might be technological, some of them might be social, some of them might be political. All these categories are kind of blurred right now. Uh, can we come up with a list of, of how do we get here? Talk with your neighbor maybe for just a minute and see what we can put together.
not participate right now. But yeah, let's go somebody uh, raise your hand and share a little bit about maybe one aspect or one component of this particular cultural moment. How do we do here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, social media algorithms. Okay. Yeah, like vision. Okay, that, that are designed, you know, that they actually kind of lead to the next they show you what you want to see because then you keep consuming it. Okay, excellent. So this is great. That This is like an actual mechanism at work that, that contributes to the distancing between people. Good. Uh, kind of a, a related, I think, related reason. I was reading from uh, one of the CEOs of a big-time media corporation talking about the challenges of going from mainly print to digital and saying how it used to be that, you know, if you subscribe to the newspaper, you trust the source and you're engaged in this source. So not everything has to be sensational. You're already consuming, you know, from this particular source. Now, if you're like me, I just go on the, the left here and I, so I see like the most popular articles and that creates every single article has to you know, draw attention to itself. And of course, that increases the kind of sensational headlines, and that contributes to this, this problem as well. Okay, what else? Mr. Kevin Kuman, is that a hand? I can't tell. It wasn't, no. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can give an answer if you like. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know what? In, when you go through an election cycle, there's division within power that becomes For sure. rampant. We'll just go with that one. Yep, good. Great. Yeah. Um, I have several um, things that, it, as a Christian school teacher, get to be a little bit diffi difficult. Um, Christian nationalism, believing that our country is the country of choice. So, you know, trying to teach the kids, we are blessed, beyond blessed. But, so Christian nationalism, um, that plays into it quite a bit, too. Yeah, and the entire, the, kind of the, this moment from a social perspective, or I'm curious, even sociologists, you know, 50 years down the road, looking back at this moment, so many of the, the families, the family dynamic, the community dynamic, and all the things that play into it, and, and Christian, Christian nationalism, we'll talk about it a little later, but one of the big challenges is I have never met the person who says, oh yeah, like, you know, that's me, it's often subtle and in the background and interwoven in my understanding of the scriptures and, and that makes it particularly challenging too that so many of the, the challenging topics they're all interwoven in our faith and if I'm expecting what I'm doing at home to be a re reinforced in my Christian school and it's not that can create kind of an explosive event all right, other things. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I've been around a long time, and uh, what I see a lot goes back, and let me explain this too, the concept of abortion. Since nobody really cared a whole lot about who got put on the Supreme Court prior to 1973, and if you look at the volume of talk about this appointee, that appointee, liberal versus conservative, I mean, it has just gotten louder and louder, really, since the Clinton years, in my opinion. Um, 
Republicans wouldn't would, uh, confirm anybody Clinton put up. You got the reverse when George W. was in office. You could reverse back when you got, you know, so it all becomes about, we got to elect this guy because he's going to put either liberal justices or he's going to put conservative or she. He's going to put, you know. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to the to Roe v. Wade. And I, I so desperately wish, I'm not a historian, I wish teaching in a school, obviously history class, I just so badly want to just sit in and, and better understand the past even hundred years and just to say, hey, how, how does all this connect? And there's all kinds of connections happening uh, that help understand this current moment. Thank you. Other other examples? Yep, go ahead. Um, I think that when difficult times come, people respond in different ways, whether it be reaching out or whether it be circling the wagons and taking care of yourself. Sure, yep. Um, and I think that, you know, we've had a lot of difficult times throughout the world. The pandemic can help. Um, and so that response is very natural to want to circle the wagons. Yep. And what's so interesting, especially in, in kind of the height of COVID, was what even circling the wagons looks like, it's, it's often, this, it, there's, there's not a personal connection. It ends up being more kind of the social media uh, gathering just because of the nature of, of COVID, there was not a lot of gathering. So it, it almost felt like a perfect storm in a lot of a lot of ways that led to the challenging years we've all had as Christian school people. Yeah. So uh, globalization mm-hmm. and uh, widespread mm-hmm. immigration and different immigration patterns than before, uh, demographic change in the country, in our own communities, in our schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was going to say also the pandemic um, really, you know, brought a lot of a lot of preferences um, and opinions out in the open like where before you before you felt like you could just you know coexist with people who disagreed suddenly you felt like you had to like you felt like this was a life or death decision and you know mm-hmm. um, and so in, especially in the early days of the pandemic there were more opinions than actual facts going around nobody knew anything sure. Yeah, right. Something new. We're all just yeah, excellent. Good. Hey, these are these are wonderful, I think, reasons that contribute to the moment we're all experiencing. And I'm sure, as I said, I think in the future there'll be some beautiful book that unpacks <laughs> the last several years and kind of all the things that were going are going on. Um, part of the I think that maybe the more in question more important question is so what do we do or how do we respond? And, and part of that involves identifying the specific challenges in a Christian school to this moment. Um, one of the biggest challenges, in my opinion, is what you mentioned, there's a tangledness that happens with socio-political stuff and our faith. And I think part of that's like, yeah, of course it should. right? Our faith should Impact how we think about the world and how we organize our communities. Yeah, of course. But I think there's this uh, not just political but maybe partisan phenomenon that's happened that our faith is bound up in a particular political party. Uh, I, I, I was so, I was so, this is going to sound dumb. I was so encouraged when I drove by a church and the American flag was probably like 10 feet higher than the Christian flag on, on, on these flagpoles. And the reason I was encouraged was like, you know, it's helpful just to like see that because <laughs> more often that's the reality I think in my own soul when it comes to my allegiances, right? When it comes to my allegiances and what's shaping how I think and what it's typically my political persuasion and perspective and, and 
rather than maybe the other way around. And actually seeing it was this like exposing moment of, yeah, I get that our faith is going to inform politics and our perspective, and it should. But how do we do it in, in, in such a way that demonstrates the unity that Jesus talks about when he, he stakes his reputation on his unity? And that's a terrible decision, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, really bad call, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, I'm being jokey, sort of. He, he seems to, to say that there's something at stake in followers of Jesus demonstrating a love for one another and a commitment to the kingdom of God amidst differences that will tell the world something unique about him. And that is a risky thing to do. Uh, I love how Jesus calls uh, um, a zealot and the tax collector to follow him. These two hate each other, right? Uh, One probably wants the other one dead. And Jesus, in John's gospel, says crazy things like, I pray that my disciples are one, just as you and I are one, speaking to God the Father. That the unity between the zealot and this tax collector is going to be so unified that it it is a mirror of Jesus and the Father. That's kind of audacious, but I have to imagine that if people see a a zealot and a tax collector together, it would be a really weird thing. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? What do you two have in common? Can you imagine them saying, like, oh, almost nothing? (laughs) Except Jesus. (laughs) Uh, And then come to find out, Jesus is more significant, more weighty than all the important things we disagree about. Uh, I think that's quite a testimony. And and I do think of this moment as an opportunity to live into that a little bit. Okay, blah, 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 blah. Wait, wait, wait. This, this kind of this dominating effect of, of politics. I find myself, I catch myself all the time, uh, even at church, we'll sometimes like have a guest speaker. And that, embarrassingly, is one of my first, like, I wonder if this person means left or right. Or like, just kind of like listening for clues in what they're talking about. Like, okay, I kind of get who they're there. Because there's only two categories that matter, right? Uh, when, when we hire a new staff person, this is, again, embarrassing. But I, I was really like, I wonder if they're kind of like, they're really conservative. Like, which one? Uh, not, I wonder if they're particularly kind. I wonder if they're like a really encouraging staff member who's going to pour into the lives of students. I wonder if they're a person of integrity. I hope so. Instead, it's like, I wonder if they're this or this. Those, those matter more than anything else for some reason right now. And I catch myself doing that so often. So some of the maybe uh, suggestions, and I, I want to, full disclosure, um, when, when I received this email with the subject line, I said, oh boy, I'd like to talk about that at CEA. Expecting that in that year, I'd like come upon some revelation that solves the problem. I haven't yet come upon, I went like the last five minutes before the sermon, like, come on, that revelation is going to come to me here in a minute. But uh, there's a few observations that I've made um, from, from just existing in a Christian school environment, ways that I think, hey, this is something to consider and think about how to move forward in the midst of the division. So I want to suggest a couple of those. And some of them are personal, and some of them are communal. 
And the first one is, is more in the personal category. Um, and I would describe it as this. I want to have a healthier imagination when it comes to other people. Um, I find myself, when I received this parent email with that subject line, I immediately had those parents pegged. I thought I did, right? Like, oh, they're this. And they're the problem. They're like messing up school. Um, thankfully, I was able to get to know this particular family a little bit better and realizing all the nuances and all the ways that we are very much alike and all the ways. And for me, that was a helpful moment of, of reminder, a reminder that I want to have a little bit of a more robust imagination when it comes to other people. Um, caricatures abound right now. Um, they just It's so easy to say, you know, if I'm on this particular side, that they're just this, and they fit the mold of every other of that group. Um, in fact, just, just like two weeks ago, I was in the middle of, of a kind of conflict, not really conflict, but something that was frustrating me with, with the family, and uh, my friend who, with whom I share an office he said, hey, if, if you thought as a parent, if you thought what we were talking about was, a, was like a salvation issue, which is a term that this family used, he said, would you be acting or functioning any differently? And it was helpful just to say like, okay, I thought our disagreement was up here, but it's really like over here. It's something else. It's just we, we happen to disagree about this thing over here. And being able to identify that and to say, you know, we actually share a ton we actually share so much, and where we disagree is like this part of the conversation. And it's easier to talk about that when we identify it as the issue, rather than just they're in this whole other sphere of idiocy, and they'll never see the light. And unfortunately, I live as I'm on the good side, and, and that's how I feel like I often operate. So just a robust imagination. Uh, this, for a school, I, I've got a couple of examples of this one. Show your work when possible. As a school and as a school system, showing your work when possible can be really helpful when it comes to just about anything, especially anything public or any decisions or DNA related to who we are as a Christian school. Being able to say, hey, here's how we got here. And here were the values that really contributed to where we landed. That's been a really cool thing to witness a, a, a school... Sorry, some of them are here, and this was on the internet, and I already shared it in the last section, but I thought it was a wonderful example. In the middle of all the, the high emotions with mask mandates, um, this is a Christian school, Lansing Christian, I thought it was just a really beautiful thing that they did. Let me see if I think I even have a picture. Um, their teachers drafted a letter. It's just an open letter to their students. And in this open letter, in the midst of all these you know, contentious divisions and all the things, they wrote the letter just to say, hey, we get, like, this is really complicated. And just to give you a little peek behind the scenes as to, as to some of our wrestling with this. But we want to remind you of a few things as well. The heart of your teachers, the desire of this school, all those important things. So I just want to read this to you. Dear students, with the difficulties of this year and the past 21 months, we wanted to take a few moments to remind you of a few important truths. We are your teachers. We love our calling. We love our subjects. We love teaching, 
leading and seeing learning and growing taking place. We are your teachers. Lansing Christian is a community to which we have been called, to which we are invested, for which we are passionate. We are your teachers. We are committed to seeing you become all that you didn't even know you could be. Become who God has created you to be. Become your whole self. These past months have been some of the most challenging months as teachers and of our lives. We have learned to adapt to da- adapt our daily functioning. Learn to meet ever-changing needs. Learn to give you grace when you are struggling. And in our learning, we admit we can be short with you. We can be unclear with you. Because many days we are struggling as well. Struggling to navigate our contentious culture, struggling to care for ourselves and our families. Still, we are committed to walk with you as you grow and as you learn. To learn how to comply and question authority with honor and respect. To learn how to disagree with one with another person and demonstrate civility and dignity. To learn how to be honest with struggles and yet have courage to see each day brimming with hope of Christ. We see that you are going through these challenges as well. We see that some of you are just wanting to feel okay. Some, of, some are running to distractions when stress arises. Some who are simply tired of navigating ever-changing demands and dynamics in your daily lives. And still others of you who are trying to hold on to the little control you may feel you still have. Many of you feel tired of wearing masks. Many of you feel unseen, unnoticed, or unheard. Many of you just want things to feel the way they always did, to have a sense of normalcy. In the midst of these circumstances, we see your formational failures and successes. We see your disappointments after a low quiz grade, paired with a determination and resilience. We see your stress of life paired with authenticity and grace. We see your frustration and boredom paired with brilliant creativity and potential. Ultimately, we see your commitment to improve, learn, and grow in the midst of these hardships. You are fighting and trying even though you may be fatigued, which inspires us more than you can know. And we want you to remember this truth from God's word. Let us not grow fatigued in doing good. For at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in this community. We are your teachers. We want you to grow and feel known. And we want to remind you that we are thankful for you. We pray for you. We care for you. Have a restful and blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you, middle and high school teachers and staff. Why I thought that was so cool is it did like five things at the same time. It's like, yeah, we recognize this is tough. We see the challenges. We see your, your stress. We see, and it also said, you know what? Like, a little peek behind the scenes, it's tough for us too. And we're trying to figure out and navigate all this as well. But then I think the coolest thing after acknowledging how you're doing and how we're doing, it also put that, that moment in a broader context of hope in the bigger story that God is telling. Now, if I'm a parent and, and maybe I disagree with decisions or maybe I agree with decisions that's happening, at least I have like a context for understanding in, in the sense of showing their work, showing where they're at, being transparent. Um, and, and just hearing that, I thought, man, I thought that was a wonderful, beautiful example of how to do that well. Um, a, big, a big next bullet point. I should have put these on here, but I didn't. 
Uh, building trust, I think that's one that we all want to grow in as schools, growing trust inside our school community with families, with parents, with the entire partnership we have. And, and my question is, how do we do that? Part of the challenge is it's hard to trust somebody you don't know. Uh, we as a, as a high school leadership team have talked about how do we create opportunities for us to get to know each other? How do we create opportunities for families to know teachers and vice versa? Because um, that actually ends up being really incredibly helpful, right? In fact, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard parents come in to like complain about something or something happened, and, and I'll hear when they know a teacher versus when they don't. There's a difference. Like, oh, actually, well, I know this person. I had a great experience with this person. So, like, we know that their heart is right. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, knowing a person does change the way we interact and changes the way we even disagree. Um, we, we attempted something that hasn't been going much this year, but even we had, like, a, a little podcast conversation going. And the simple hope of introducing parents to their kids' teachers. Um, and the idea basically came about as I was dropping off my own children uh, to daycare. And I remember leaving them the very first day and pulling out of the parking lot and be like, who did I just leave my kids with? <laughs> and it's not like I, I like distrust the place. It's a great place. But like, I don't know. <laughs> I just met that lady who I just listened like, here's my kid. And then walked away like, who is that person? <laughs> it just struck me as like kind of crazy that I don't know her. And all of a sudden I thought, I wonder if parents feel that way in our school. Um, so these podcast conversations were, were simply designed to have teachers share their heart, their story, how they got into Christian education, why they care, part of their faith story. That way, if there comes a time when there's a disagreement or a frustration, it tends to be more inquisitive. If I know and trust the teacher in that class, then if I don't know them, it tends to be more accusatory. So what are ways as a school we can help get to know one another? There's lots of creative ideas I think we could come up with to build on those relationships that we already have. Something helpful that was suggested to me a few weeks ago was, was just clarifying the objectives of Christian education from our vantage point as a school. Because sometimes there'll be conversations where in, in, in the course of the conversation we realize we have different expectations from Christian ed. Um, and that's, I think, important to be upfront about. Uh, when a parent says something to the effect of, well, I send my kids to Christian Education so that what we're teaching at home will be reinforced. And I get that. And there are certain things that we want to say, yes, of course. We do share a lot. And you can expect those values to be reinforced. But there's a big difference between our values and then specific conversations happening that require discernment. I was reading in this book, many of you read it, this is the old school version, but 12 Affirmations. Reformed Christian schooling for the 21st century. When it talks about the purpose of a Christian school, number three says, we trust the Holy Spirit's guidance in the students' lives. The Christian school community offers opportunities to foster the responsibility to exercise discernment. And I was struck by that. I thought, like, oh, if we can communicate, that's one of our objectives is to foster 
discernment and opportunities to discern, it's not the exact same thing of telling them what they should think on a particular controversial issue and being upfront about, hey, here's that's why we exist, that's what we're trying to do. And of course that won't resolve all disagreements, but at least being able to identify where the conflict actually is, I think could be a really helpful thing. To be able to articulate even just the big picture goals of Christian ed. Another suggestion, to thoughtfully approach important topics with care. Um, my good friend Andrew Klein, with whom I share an office, uh, we were talking about this. Like, how, how do we talk about X, Y, or Z, right? Because I think sometimes there's a feeling of we can't talk about anything ever that might potentially be controversial. And I feel like that list is growing of things that are controversial, right? So it's like, okay, maybe we just like be very vague about everything ever. <laughs> uh, and that, that doesn't like quite feel right either. Like, that is like, be very broad and, and vague. And, and Andrew, my friend, he said, well, there's a difference between, uh, he, he used the, the metaphor of a gold mine versus a landmine. And he came up with some pretty helpful, and then he even put them in the slides. What a good guy. Oh, I did not have to push all the buttons individually. <laughs> Unbelievable. How the hell am I going to do this? Let's just do them all up there. You talked about a landmine, and, and keep in mind, this could be the very same topic, right? If you're approaching topic X, it could be a landmine, or it could be a gold mine, not based on what the topic is, but how you go about it. And so he shared some, some things. Entering challenging conversation without proper care. Understanding the context in this classroom, individuals as well as families. Norms for engaging in conversa conversation. It's an important one to say, okay, when, when we're about to have this conversation that, that might strike us in different ways, here's kind of how we're going to go about it. Um, not looking carefully knowing students, recognizing or sensing tension in the room, wandering off the path, introducing topics not connected to course content. This is an important one, too, to be said. Hey, look, this is rooted in, in like, the objective of this course. It's not just some like out-here conversation we're having. This actually has to do with the agreed-upon, you know, what this curriculum and content is for this course. And here's how we're going to go about it. Moving too quickly, not giving proper time for reflection and questions and wrestling. What's interesting for me, reflecting on my own education, uh, I think the moments I grew the most were some of these, uh, excuse me, not the opposite of this, were, were, were times when it could have been a landmine, but it, but it ended up being more of a goldmine moment because there was time to process and reflect and think and at times disagree and then have a conversation around my disagreement, um, which is what Andrew calls a gold mine. Oh, now this one doesn't go individually. We'll talk about that later, Mr. <laughs> uh, being a, mostly the opposite, being aware of my surroundings, the context, um, bringing light, it's really helpful to talk about, yeah, like, especially when we've got 2,000 years of Christian, explicitly Christian thought on a wide variety of things, and it can be really helpful. Um, even, you know, we, we had conversations recently, recently about different perspectives ar around um, 
the age of the earth and the Bible and how, how science and faith, uh, you know, what exactly is that relationship like? And it's really helpful to be able to say, hey, you know, here's 2,000 years of Christians who thought about this differently. And here's Augustine and here's Calvin and here's Origen. And, here, and all, you, you can't say, well, Augustine's not a real Christian. That doesn't go super well, I don't think. Uh, but right, it represents that, okay, this is, this is a, a bigger, broader thing. And the Christian community, community of faith, has been wrestling with some of these questions for a long time. One that's, I think, risky and so important. Can we model some of the values that we talk about? And again, you want, I think you want to do this one really thoughtfully and carefully. But do you have, as a school, a chance to model civil discourse or a respectful conversation about important topics with people who disagree? That would be kind of awesome <laughs> to be able to see and model. Look, did you notice that they didn't see, think the same thing about this important conversation? But did you notice how they talked to one another? Did you notice the respect? How did you notice respect? What did they do? Even body language that communicated their respect for one another. Uh, we had a, a cool opportunity to do this with that podcast I mentioned before. We have two board members who are local pastors and, and are kind of known in some way, and I don't think accurately necessarily, but kind of have that reputation of being more on the conservative end of the spectrum and being on the more liberal end of the perspective spectrum when it comes to politics and social issues and they were both willing as board members they're board members of our school and they were willing to say yeah like, let's record a conversation and we were able to talk about a bunch of different things and, and to talk about where they disagree and why they disagree and maybe more importantly what they know about the other that leads them to respect one another amidst those disagreements uh, that's I think a pretty incredible learning opportunity for our students to see that model. And in the course of their conversation, they so often said, you know what, I know this, what made it complicated was that both their names are Chad. So that was, it was like, well, Chad's in this way. Oh, gosh, this is, we're going to need to make code names or something. But um, the Chads both saw in the other a love and a commitment to the scriptures. And so it was said a number of times, saying, look, when I disagree with Chad, I don't suspect he doesn't love the scriptures and is trying to, to be informed by the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I've never doubted that once. We sometimes end up in very different places, but I've never doubted his process and his values in the midst of those disagreements. Yeah? Can you tell us some things that they talked about? You mean specific like topics? Yeah. So, okay, that was really interesting because we had a list of potential topics. And as board members, you know, they had to be, I think, be really careful. And both as members of uh, pastors of the local church. Um, so we, it ended up being, I think the biggest frustration was that we did end up being fairly vague about specific topics. Especially since some of them were being talked about at the board level already. And we just felt that wouldn't be appropriate to say, hey, here's something we're talking about behind the scenes for this public thing. So we ended up kind of sticking to the fundamentals of how you disagree and really pretty vaguely alluded to some of the really hot button issues of the, of the, of the current culture. Um, and is that kind of a cop out? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it was a helpful step 
Um, that, and I, I don't know if we could have handled more than that in that moment. But, yeah, we, we didn't necessarily go through like, hey, here's the five most controversial things in culture. Go. You know, that maybe would have been interesting, but I think maybe not as helpful. I don't know. And part of that is, you know, they, we, we, had, we met like three times before this. And we talked about some of those things, like, could it go like this? And, and we, well, we also understood that we can edit this on the backside. And, you know, I didn't mean to say it quite like that. Let's change it. Um, but we, we did determine that it would be more helpful to stay vague, at least for our first conversation. In the course of that conversation, and we're getting towards the end here, one of the chads said something that struck me. He said, it's important for me to start my day with the reality of the gospel as my context and my allegiance to Jesus. And I don't necessarily know all that he meant by that, but I've reflected on that line a lot when it comes to the storyline of the gospel. Because uh, someone once said, whoever is telling the best story wins the culture or something to that effect. And I do think, I think the political storyline is particularly engrossing right now. And I think it's winning. I think the political storyline, and I say the political storyline, I think there's dominantly one. Uh, and it looks, you know, one way on one side of the aisle, and, and, and it's almost this, the other side of the coin. Um, and basically, here's how I would summarize it. I spent about a year really intentionally uh, consuming media across the spectrum of the political divide and listening to, I spent every morning listening to really conservative radio on my way to school, and in the evening I would watch a more progressive media outlet uh, for the news in the evening. And what was amazing was just seeing how oftentimes it was the same like factoid from just a very different perspective. Um, for example, Fewer, oh, I'm going to butcher this, fewer college-educated women voted for Donald Trump, I think it's the 2016 election, and from the one source, it was like, well, yeah, because if you're smart, you know, you don't do something so stupid, and the other one was, well, yeah, um, universities are indoctrinating uh, people, and, and it was just like, oh, wow, we have the same fact, and we're seeing it from such total different angles here, so what are the, what is the big political storyline? After a year, I, I jotted down some thoughts. There's good guys, there's bad guys, there's a goal, and there's a call to participate. Both here and here, the good guys, there's never, I've never heard in this year-long experiment, I never heard the moment where like we questioned our allegiance to goodness. It was just this assumption that, like, yeah, of course. We and our listeners are on the good side, and we want what's best. And, and our enemy, the bad guys, they're the obstacle to achieving this. And their motives are questioned all the time. And how could they possibly, they must either be corrupt or idiots or, from both sides, it was the same repeat of, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. The goal, and the goal was really the same for both. It was a, a fair, just, good, flourishing society. It's like what we want, and we know how to get there, and they're trying to stop us. And the call to participate is like, we have to win, and we need you to do that. So after a year of listening to this, I'm trying to think, 
when Chad said, trying to like remind myself of the gospel storyline, I love the contrast of just the basic gospel storyline. Who are the, the good guys? Um, that's God. Then, like, that's about it. <laughs> and when it comes to the bad guys, uh, I love Romans. It's a really famous verse that I think becomes even more powerful in understanding its, its context in the church in Rome. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, you've heard that before. In, in the church in Rome, you've got this Jewish and Gentile division. And they're constantly fighting over a number of different things. And the Gentile inclusion is changing the face of the church. And they don't know how to go about it. Because it used to be this Jewish thing. And now Gentile, like, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to observe food laws? All the things. And it's not going well. And rather than saying, like, okay, well, you guys are right about this, or you guys are wrong about this, the Apostle Paul just comes at it in a totally, I love this way, he just says, like, okay, you know what? You guys don't have anything in common. I'm going to give you one thing. You're both wrong. <laughs> Let's start there. Like, you're both equally wrong, because all have sinned, Jews have sinned, Gentiles have sinned, and all have become enemies of God. It's almost this beautiful unifying moment between two groups of people who don't have anything in common. The Apostle Paul says, I thought of something. You're both the enemies of God. You're both the bad guys. Start there. Let's build up of that foundation. And I wonder in this current moment of division, it's like, that's not a bad spot to start. Um, I'm guilty. I've contributed to this cultural messy moment. I tend to one-dimensionalize people I disagree with. I tend to caricaturize people I disagree with. Um, I tend to, you know, sometimes there's even times where like I am disingenuous and speak poorly about somebody behind their back in this divisive moment. And I'm guilty. And you've heard that G.K. Chesterton line before probably, but when the Times of London asked uh, to write an essay to G.K. Chesterton and others, the topic of the essay was, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, who usually just very long-winded, responded, dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. I think there's something to be said in the basic gospel storyline that that's where we're invited to start. So like, I'm on the list of the bad guys. Like, I'm contributing to the problem. And by the grace of God... If I'm on the, the, the right side, if I'm on God's team in any way, shape, or form, it's only because of the extravagant grace of God. Beginning there, I do think, has the tendency to create humility, to create a, a quickness to listen and learn from a neighbor. Whereas the political storyline immediately puts me in the good team and them in the bad team. The gospel says, no, 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 you got that backwards. Start there, and then engage. What's the goal? In the political storyline, every conversation was bent on winning in some way, shape, or form. Winning you know, this particular policy, or winning this legislation, winning this vote, winning this election. It's, it, and that's the call to action. Like, We've got to win this. I, I'm challenged by the, the person of Jesus who says crazy upside-down things about laying down your life. And, and I still don't exactly know how this plays out. 
socially or politically, but he, he seems intent on saying, hey, look, follow me. And his disciples say, oh, cool, can we sit at your right and at your left when your kingdom comes? And a few days later, we see Jesus, and those aren't thrones on his right and his left, they're crosses. And it's not what we thought. And winning looks a lot like losing. In Revelation, John has this moment where he sees the throne, and one of the elders says, look, the lion who has conquered. And John turns, and he sees a lamb that's covered in blood. That moment just like always punches me in the gut. The lion who won is a lamb who lost. The call in our allegiance to following King Jesus is maybe not necessarily the same kind of winning. And this doesn't mean I think disengage with politics. This doesn't mean don't care or don't try to, you know, be thoughtful and engage and, and you know, hopefully be productive as we structure our communities. Yeah, of course, that's really important. But as a follower of Jesus, winning might not look the same way as it looks in the political sphere. And the call to participate is in following this Jesus guy who leads to crosses. I'm still unpacking what exactly that looks like on the day-to-day when it comes to this conversation. I, I don't fully know what... Um, But I know it's probably not what the political storyline promises. And lastly this, if it feels like following Jesus doesn't fit perfectly in either of these categories, good. I'm always reminded when Jesus is is on earth in his ministry, there's all kinds of like these socio-political groups vying for his attention. Um, Right? We could make a big long list of Zealots, Essenes, Herodians, on and on and on. And my favorite thing is when he does something or says something, they think like, oh cool, we could we could use that. And then he says something and they're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. He doesn't fit. He's not in our group. And partway through the gospel, you get these groups that hate each other collaborating. Jesus is a peacemaker. Everybody hates him. And they bound together. You've got Herodians and Pharisees be like, hey, let's uh let's collaborate on this one. We both want Jesus dead. I'm struck by how he doesn't fit in those categories and in those boxes, and I wonder how we can better articulate how Christian education might not fit perfectly into those categories either. Okay, blah 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 blah. I've been talking too long. What time is it? Oh, yep. Okay, we've got like three minutes. Um, I know a lot of this is is kind of vague. The intention is that hopefully in your school communities or as individuals, you can begin brainstorming, what might this look like? Maybe even just one of these thoughts, like how do we build trust and how do we get to know one another instead of creating caricatures of one another? Uh, What would it look like for us as individuals to, to have more robust imaginations when imagining those we're in disagreement with? Um, that's my hope, is that this is something to build off of with your school community. Any questions? Might be easier for now. Hello. Sorry, Megan. You're okay. um, the, the question that I have, and everything you said, I 100% agree. The problem is when um, it's the parents are Christians, you're a Christian, and 
they don't want you to teach their child. Yeah, yeah. Something as simple as there's racism in the world. Yep. You know, and 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 so you know that that's where I'm coming from. I get talking to my friends, I get all that kind of stuff. But when you're both godly people, yep. You know, and then and then it's as, as a teacher, your hands might be tied. So. The last point I didn't actually mention, but it's understanding that peacemaking is a marathon and a gauntlet. (laughs) Because I think you're right, and and that's a very real specific situation that might not be resolved super easily. I started a new position at our school a year ago. Um, The um, chaplain, that one's always easy to remember. Director of Faith Formation is is the other title. And part of that involves conversations when there's not peace in the community, right? Trying to, to be a peacemaker in the midst of that. And I think I arrogantly stepped into that thing like, oh, this would be easy. Like, you just get people together, share some stuff, and then it's resolved. I found out really quickly that's not so simple. And situations kind of like what you're mentioning where it's like, yeah, I don't know how this is going to move forward smoothly or peacefully. Um, I think that's a very real thing that won't necessarily have a bow uh, um, at the end. So what do we do? Those are really complicated questions that you know schools and, and teachers and administrators have to walk through. Like, what do you do? Because there's been times where we might have to say, you know what, this, this crossed a line and this violates our, our kind of our partnership with families and so it, it, it can't happen. And uh, I, I don't know. Those are going to be hard moments. I find encouragement in the broader hope we have in the big story God is up to. And in the moment, in the moment, do the best, wisest thing we can. And, and, and I don't know what else to do beyond that. Sorry, I don't know. Maybe someone else has better thoughts than that. But there's moments where it's like, okay, we're not resolving this. Or at least not well or peacefully. Hey, can I pray for us? I'm a chaplain, so I get paid for prayer, so the more I pray, I'm just kidding. Unholy joke before praying. Gracious God, we just recognize the, the probably thousands of stories represented even in this small room of, not just in our professional lives, right, but in families, in friendships, among siblings, with parents and children, the way that this current moment uh, has, has tended to divide us, um, to, it's produced a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt. Um, God, we don't always know what it looks like, but we pray that you would equip us for the essential work of being peacemakers in this current moment. I pray that you'd give us the thoughtfulness to be able to articulate our why and to be able to understand that our identity as followers of your son Jesus is going to impact everything we do in a school. But that there's also a lot of confusion and misunderstanding and disagreements. And so it won't always be easy or smooth. But Lord, we do ask in the, in the micro moments and the macro moments that we look back and realize that you were up to good things. 
I pray that there would be even moments where we disagree or where we argue or where we even part ways. That reflection might happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road that we look back on and realize that you're teaching, that your Holy Spirit is hardy, and that you're doing good things when we see it and when we don't. So we trust you and commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, our favorite name, we ask these things. Amen.